The gospel lesson today comes from the gospel according to Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. My husband is one of those people who usually give something up for Lent, like coffee, dessert, meat, watching TV. This year, when I asked him, what are you going to give up for Lent this year? He gave me a quick retort, nothing. I don't have anything left to give up. I laughed. It does seem like we have been through 12 months already of deprivation. We've given up in-person church, and dinner parties, and chatting at the water cooler with colleagues at the office, and traveling, and family reunions, and shopping. Our teenagers have given up sleepovers, and football game pep rallies, and chess club, and mission trips. As a nation, we've lost more than 473,000 lives more than 110,000 restaurants, and many retail businesses are permanently closing their doors. In fact, 2020 saw more bankruptcy filings than any year since 2009. The toll on our collective mental health has been staggering. According to the Center for Disease Control, 40% of us or grappling with one or more mental health or drug-related issue right now. And the crisis is even greater amongst our youngest adults. 75% of them are struggling. So usually when Lent rolls around, you and I have to hit the brakes on our busy lives so that we can shift over into that lane we call spiritual reflection. But as Reverend Tyler Heston said on Wednesday during his Ash Wednesday meditation, it already feels like we've been living in Lent for a long time, almost a full year. And really, what else can we give up? Perhaps Lent has come at the perfect time this year. This year, it is no time for you and I to pretend that we are identifying with the suffering of the world because already we've been touched by the global challenges in either some very large way or some relatively small way. As we turn our attention to the despair and the pain of a man named Jesus who turned his face toward Jerusalem where more pain and suffering awaited him, you and I have some vague sense of the heaviness of that burden, so much greater than ours, and yet we can fathom, we can imagine this year 
more vividly than ever the brokenness of our world that Jesus came to save. Our lives may feel easy in comparison to Jesus' holy week agony, but this year, Lent seems more than ever like a familiar journey. The centerpiece of today's scripture lesson is Jesus tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. Mark tells us that Jesus was tempted by Satan. Mark doesn't tell us anything about the dialogue between Jesus and Satan, but Mark tells us that for 40 days, Jesus was there with wild beast. Doesn't that sound terrible? Horrific even? 40 days in the Bible is a long time. It's Bible speak for a long time, 40 days. But 40 days also mirrors those 40 days that Moses spent on Mount Sinai receiving God's direction, God's commandments, we call them. When the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament wandered in the wilderness on the way to Mount Horeb, it was, you know, for 40 days. And when the people of God left slavery in Egypt and marched through the parted waters of the Red Sea, they then spent 40 years in the wilderness in search of a spiritual homeland. Over and over again, God's people faced times of humili humiliation and trial and testing to discern who they were and what God was calling them to become. We might have thought that God's son would have been exempt, but today's story from Mark places Jesus right in the place where we have been, all of us, at one time or another, there in the wilderness with the wild beast. But what makes no sense in this story is that right after this, Jesus comes forth announcing good news. How could Jesus announce good news, the kingdom of God is at hand, when Jesus has just emerged from 40 days in the wilderness? In fact, this temptation story, these 40 days are sandwiched between two beautiful stories. First, Jesus receives the Holy Spirit at his own baptism with the beauty and the tenderness of a dove descending upon him. Jesus is embraced by God with these beautiful words, you are my beloved, you are my son, with you I am well pleased. And then comes the 40 days in the wilderness and after that Jesus begins preaching the good news, proclaiming, God, God is now near. And even as Jesus preaches that you and I should believe this good news, Jesus knows that John the baptizer has already been imprisoned, imprisoned for preaching this same message of love. Are we sure? Are we sure this is good news? I mean, really, What's good about it? And what is good news anyway? The Bible just throws that term around like we all know what it means. But what does it mean? Mark said it was the whole purpose of his writing. Paul refers to it 60 times. What would be good news for you and me today? We hear Jesus say good news. But if you could imagine the best news of all, 
that would come to you today, what would it sound like? What would it taste like? What would it feel like? What would good news look like? If I could hear all of you today singing in unison in our sanctuary, Christ the Lord is risen today, that would sound like the best news ever. If I could smell the good news, I would be out on a hike outdoors in Colorado, breathing in the fresh dew on the pine. If I could taste the good news, it would be because a dozen friends were sitting around a dinner table together laughing and passing that platter of crusty bread and fresh poured olive oil. Recently, I was able to visit a good friend who has a degenerative neurological disease. He's lost his mobility, so walking is impossible, and speaking even one word proves challenging. When he speaks, it mostly comes out as a whisper. Dave and I were visiting at his bedside along with his wife. We began telling stories and reminiscing, and we stumbled upon a memory of our friend who was one time acting silly and joking around. And with that particular memory, Dave and I found ourselves laughing so hard we were doubled over in laughter, holding our stomachs. We couldn't stop laughing. We were gasping for breath and tears were coming to our eyes, all three of us, with the hilarity of the memory. And then we turned and we looked over at our friend and his whole face was lit. It was lit up with this beaming grin that let us know that he was laughing with us, that he was basking in the glow of our shared memory. In fact, he was smirking like a nine-year-old boy who was just caught doing something naughty. Good news is not just a good idea. Good news is the life-changing presence of God unfolding in ordinary human life. And good news, it can break out even on the margins of the wilderness. In our webinar with David Brooks and Mirzlaw Wolf, we ask both of them, how do you pursue joy in the midst of this world of ours that is filled right now with such suffering? Does that even make sense? And I loved what David Brooks said in his answer. He said, in his experience, when you ask people, what is it that made you into the person you are today? No one ever talks about a fabulous vacation they took to Hawaii. He said that isn't really what forms us. What forms us is so often a time of suffering. And then David cited that famous theologian who taught in New York for many years, Paul Tillich. He remembered that Tillich defines suffering as something like an interruption in your life that reminds you that you are not the person you thought you were. Suffering, he said, carves into the floor in the basement of your soul, and it reveals a cavity below, and then one even below that. Maybe Jesus emerged from the wilderness, that time of wrestling with good and evil, and then came forth to preach the good news because Jesus found God drawing near to him even during that terrible 40 days. 
Some scholars suggest that even after Jesus departed from the wilderness, that there was a way in which he carried the wilderness in him for the rest of his life. And, and I can see that he was always concerned about those who were suffering or marginalized. He hung out with those who were outcast. And near the end of his life, as the crucifixion begins to seem inevitable, he goes into a garden with his best friends, his disciples, to pray, and he tells them how deeply grieved he is, and then he prays to God, remove this cup, let it pass from me, and yet not what I want, but what you want. The wilderness lingered, but so did the good news. The experience of the pandemic will never be completely forgotten by any of us. Experiences of wilderness shape us, whether they're named cancer or divorce or addiction or the loss of a loved one or a career setback. We carry the wilderness within us, even if we move forward into a new season of joy. But the good news, it shapes us too. Jesus said, turn around, turn around. Believe the good news. Jesus offered them and Jesus offers us the invitation to live a new life. The good news is that God is with us in the wilderness, but more than that, the good news is that God shapes us into someone new. The scripture tells us that while Jesus was in the wilderness with the wild beast, angels waited on him. There for 40 days, he was tested, but at the same time, he was waited on by angels. God was with him, shaping him for the profound mission ahead. About a hundred years ago, the president of Harvard preached to the graduating seniors at the baccalaureate ceremony. President Lowell acknowledged that for many of these graduating seniors, success would come easily. After all, they were graduating from Harvard. But then he offered them a definition of success. He said, true success does not consist in doing what we set forth to do, what we had hoped to do, nor even in doing what we have struggled to do but in doing something that is worth doing. During Lent, we ponder this one life we have been given to live. Jesus says we can live a new life. What do you think? Does that sound like good news? It was 1030 at night, and the hospital corridors were empty except for one gentleman sweeping. I made my way to the intensive care unit, praying with every step. Only a few hours ago, this young church member, still a newlywed, was sitting at her desk working. Earlier in the day, she had worked out. Now a machine was breathing for her, and no one knew if she would wake up. I could see that the family was in complete shock. Worst day of my life, several of them told me. After praying with the young patient, 
I sat down in the waiting room with the family. And then one of the family members went downstairs to the cafeteria. He stood there looking at the case, and he realized that there were no sandwiches left. But the cafeteria attendant, she, she noticed him, and she walked over. Do you need some help? He said, no, it's, it's okay. I was just looking for the sandwiches, but I think you're out. She said, well, let me, let me go to the back and, and just check. There, there might be some more back there. And in a couple of minutes, she came back with three sandwiches, which she had just made. Oh, he said, you didn't have to go to any trouble. You didn't have to do that. She said, well, you looked so sad, I wanted to. And he looked at her in the eye, and he said, don't ever let anyone tell you that your job is unimportant. And I watched him eat the sandwich. And I couldn't tell if it was tuna or chicken, but I could tell it tasted like good news.